called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got. Make this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your one? Anybody in my family? It's the preseason podcast of the year. Welcome back, good people. This is Jay Hicks once again with the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast coming to you on a Monday, June the 20th, 2022. It's Monday afternoon, a time when I don't often get to podcasts. I'm just going to do the beginning part right now and uh, uh, where I'm going to recap the NBA Finals. We saw the Golden State Warriors defeat the Boston Celtics in six games. And after that, we're going to have our NBA draft guru, Mark Hicks, return once again for yet another installment of the Mark Draft. So many Mark Drafts under our belts, man, but we're still at it. So we appreciate y'all listening. Thank you guys for taking the time to be with us today and to learn a little bit more about our take on the finals in the draft and uh, everything that's happening in the world of basketball this week. I appreciate it. And again, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Hip Hop Sports Report is the way of the website. You can hit us at HHS Report on Twitter and Facebook. If you guys find us, wherever you find this podcast, be it on uh, Apple Music or wherever, just do us a solid and like, subscribe, rate, whatever it is that you got to do to make us look good. That's all what I'm about right now. So appreciate y'all. Uh, let's start real quick. By jumping into the finals, I don't want to belabor this because we got a lot to get to. By now, you guys are aware the Warriors won their sixth title in eight years. Congratulations to the boys from the Bay. Um, kind of sucked to watch for me personally because I'm a, I'm a pretty much a well-known Golden State hater at this point. <laughs> I mean, I don't try to be. I really don't try to be a hater on any level, but... Yeah, I, I can't help it because there there are some some ties. You know what I'm saying? There's there's some ties in 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 that Golden State's run these last few years has coincided with the failures of teams and players that I root for pretty hard directly. And uh, you know we try our best to come on our podcast and be as objective as we can. But you know what? This is my podcast, damn it, and I can be as uh, as much of a hater as I choose to be. No, but in all seriousness, though, I mean, we, you know, I, I was rooting for the Cavaliers all those years, and they played against the Warriors, and I was rooting against um, the the Warriors when when CP3 was standing in their way of another championship run, and so more often than not, Golden State got the best of the teams and players that I wanted to see succeed, and so I guess you just got to tip your hat to them. But we're gonna spill a little bit of truth on this podcast because that's what we do here. As it pertains to this past year's NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics, I had no dog in that fight. So shout out to my man, uh, uh, my man Dre. He's a Celtics fan, so I know he's hurting right now. Shout out to my man Herbert, longtime supporter of the podcast. Uh, he's he's born and raised in, in Oakland, so I know he's floating on air right now. So shout out to him, and, and I feel good for him that his squad got to hoist another championship trophy. But uh, as we talk about Golden State, what this means and all that stuff and legacies and all that crap, you know, because we have to talk about it, I guess. Uh, I may have some differing opinions relative to what else you may be hearing on the airwaves right now. Uh, looking back at this particular finals, though, uh, I did not make a specific prediction for this 
uh, championship series. I, didn't, I don't think I went on Twitter and made an actual prediction. However, I can tell you honestly that my prediction was that the Warriors would win the series. I did have Golden State winning the NBA Finals before the NBA Finals. I did not have any type of uh, definitive amount of games. So there was no Warriors in five, Warriors in six, seven, whatever. I didn't, I didn't go that route. But I did believe that the Warriors would win. Why? Well, it's, it's kind of simple. Um, I've come to realize that more often than not, when you have two teams like this that are going against each other, and this isn't foolproof. I can't say it works like this all the time. But usually, in most instances, if you have two relatively evenly matched teams going at it, the more adult team usually wins. You know? It's, it's, just, it's just what it is. And adult doesn't necessarily always coincide with experience. So those things are, are not quite synonymous, but they are closely related. I will we'll admit that. But like, you know, think back to like the 08 Celtics, right? I think Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce, that was their first year together. And I don't believe any, I think they all, as leaders of their own team, went to the conference finals one time in their careers, and that was it. And then they get together in Boston that one year, and that first year they go all the way to the championship and win it. But that was a team full of adults. They didn't have the most experience in the world because I think the furthest any of them had gotten was the conference finals one time, and they all lost. But that team was full of grown-ups. These guys were all 28, 29, 30, 31 years old, whatever it was. You had some young dudes, some youth. You know, you had Rondo and whatever. But you also had Sam Cassell, and you had P.J. Brown, and... And those guys were older dudes, older veterans that helped carry them through. And again, it was a nice youthful, youthful mix. So I'm not trying to discount Big Baby Davis and Rondo and Kendrick Perkins and Leon Poe. All those guys were young at the time. But those older guys was the, the, the meat and potatoes of that championship team. And they had a little bit more. They were a little bit more adult than the Cavs team that they beat that took them to seven games. The Atlanta Hawks took them to seven games in the first round. But they were more adult than that team. Um, it got a little bit evened out with the with the Pistons and Lakers, who they beat in the final two rounds. But um, that was a very much an adult team, although they were short on experience. And so the point is, is that if you're a team full of guys that are in their late 20s and early 30s, and that's the core of your team, and that's the, the core unit there that's going to be doing the heavy lifting, those guys are, are – they know how to play the game. They've been in some situations. They're somewhat battle-tested. And in this particular case – you have the experience in spades, given the fact that the Warriors were playing in their eighth finals in six years. Steve Kerr, he's the new Lord of the Rings. The guy's got nine championships as a player, as a coach. Uh, you know, he's, he's done it all. So it was not surprising to me to see the Warriors out-execute the Celtics time and time again when the series got close, when the games got tight, and, and when it came to making moves and things like that, it, the Warriors just had it all over the, the Celtics. And, and before long, it kind of felt like the Celtics were giving up and quitting on the series. By the time Game 6 rolled around, they got off to a nice hot start, Boston. did. I thought Boston was going to win Game 6, honestly. Uh, they got off to a hot start, but it did not end up um, going very well. And once Golden State punched back for the first time, Boston just kind of collapsed. and was like, all right, forget it. That's, that's all we had, pretty much. <laughs> like when George Foreman was fighting Ali, and, and he hit him. For Ali's, uh, George said he hit Ali good one time when he was rope-a-doping him, and then Ali whispers to him, that's all you got, big boy? And George Foreman said to himself, yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and we know how that fight ended, right? So, uh, again, you have to give credit to the Warriors for that. Um, and, and you have to give credit to, again, Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, the general manager. I mean, I've... 
you know, haven't been super thrilled about all the moves that they've made over time. But you know what? They've made more good moves than bad. And some of the moves they've made are great. Some of the moves they've chosen not to make have been great. And when you add it all up, the Warriors are still remaining one of the preeminent teams in this league. And they're still hovering near the top. I mean, I don't know that anybody... Some people may have had them going this far at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the playoffs. And there was certainly, I believe, a top two or three seed in the West. So it's not totally insane that they made it here. But I don't know that it was necessarily expected at the outset. And yet, here they are, again, um, competing for another title. I think you really have to... When you think back to what Jerry Krause said about championships... Jerry Krause took a beating on that um, uh, Last Dance documentary that uh, came out about the Bulls during the pandemic in 2020. And there was a few reasons for that. For one, the documentary was basically executive produced by Michael Jordan. I don't know that he got any official credit on that, but he basically executive produced the damn thing. And then also Jerry Krause died several years ago, so he wasn't there to give any interviews and defend himself. So nobody came off looking worse in that than Krauss. But the one thing that Krauss is most famous for or infamous for was saying that organizations win championships. And and Michael Jordan took that as a slight because Jordan's position was no players win championships, not organizations. And here's the thing. They're both right. But nobody wants to acknowledge that Jerry Krauss is right because he's this fat old dude right and michael jordan is michael jordan so everybody's gonna lean towards jordan and say well jordan is right and here's the deal of course when you divide the credit pie in my estimation the players always deserve the most credit in any sport they're the ones that are going out and winning the damn thing so of course the players deserve the the lion's share of the credit no matter what but that doesn't mean that organizations don't win titles what are we talking about? We're talking about ownership. We're talking about the president. We're talking about the general manager. We're talking about assistant general managers. We're talking about scouts. We're talking about trainers. We're talking about the head coach. We're talking about assistant coaches. And then we're talking about the players. And then even the players have their roles. You have your star players, your your role players, your defensive stoppers, your specialists, your shooters, your facilitators, your bench guys, your energy guys off the bench, your young guys, your your uh, old head veterans with with a with a voice and and with that carries some cachet. Everybody has to play their part, and that's what we saw from this Warriors team, I think, above anything else. was I mean, as great as Steph was, we saw a complete organization lose a guy like Kevin Durant, convince him to take a sign and trade. They were able to move those pieces around that eventually turned into Andrew Wiggins, and Wiggins was ultimately an uh, integral part in this revival of the Warriors. You saw Clay come back to injury from the injury, so you see the players, you see the trainers helping Clay get back to uh, a respectable form of himself, not as good as he used to be, but still very uh, effective at times. Um, and then you saw the drafting of guys like Draymond Green, of course, who was a second-round pick. And I don't really care for Draymond, but you know he still has had an imprint on this franchise. And then you look at Jordan Poole, who was a second-round pick just a couple of years ago. Excuse me, a late first-rounder. I think he went 21st. or No, I think he went 28th in the draft um, a couple of years ago. And he had a massive imprint on this season for the Warriors. And so top to bottom, these guys are, are doing something right. Even their PR team for a long time was rated one of the great PR uh, groups in the National Basketball Association. So, I mean, they have a really solid organization um and they deserve credit for that and so you know if you have to say between michael jordan and jerry Krause, who's more right i would say jerry Krause is more right honestly nobody's gonna look at it that way but michael jordan was right players deserve the most credit 
But do players alone win championships? Of course not. How many talented teams have we seen flame out before or earlier than what they should have? We just saw Phoenix do it. We saw Brooklyn do it this year. We saw the Lakers do it this year. There's a lot of factors that go into winning NBA championships or championships in any sport. And so I think that's why we have to give Myers, Kerr, and the entire Warriors organization a bunch of credit as much as it may pay me to do so. All right. Let's try to wrap this up. I'm trying to rapid fire this as best I can, but let's talk Steph Curry because we have a lot to get to with the draft. But I wanted to hit on the Steph Curry stuff. And, and of course, in the immediate aftermath of winning this title, everybody wants to sit there and say, okay, well, where does Steph Curry rank all time? I hate these questions. <laughs> I really do. They really drive me insane. But I understand why we have to have them and why it's fun to have these type of debates and things like that. What do I think about Steph Curry from a historical standpoint? It's not that complicated. I believe Steph Curry is far and away the greatest shooter that ever lived. Um, I think the the way he gets his shot off, the range that he has, the quickness of his release, how deadly he is, the momentum swings that happen as a result of his three-point making, the the sheer volume of, of makes and the percentage that he has at that volume of attempts um, – We've never seen anything like it, clearly, and, uh, and it's impacted the game. I, I will wholeheartedly concede that the Warriors as a franchise, and more specifically Steph Curry, has uh, been the catalyst for this shift in what we've seen in basketball to this three-point-centric game, which I don't particularly care for because most NBA games are just a three-point shooting contest, and one team's going to hit, I don't know, 12 to 17 threes, and the other team's going to hit nine or seven or something like that and then that's who decides who wins the game and who doesn't like that's how most games go in the nba these days and so uh but there's a lot more nuance to basketball than just shooting threes which is what bothers me as i guess a somewhat old timer at this point been watching basketball for 30 something years about 30 years or so so it's kind of like okay (laughs) you know what i'm saying you've been watching it for so long and it's just like now all of a sudden everybody's just chucking threes and just crossing their fingers and that's what offense is in 2022 well Steph's the best at it and uh he's the best that I've seen even though his mid-range game does not match what his long-range game is his long-range game is so impactful that um you know we haven't we've, we've just never seen anything like him and so there has to be something to be said for that however I will say that Steph Curry is also probably the greatest specialist <laughs> that we've ever seen in basketball and that's not necessarily a full-on compliment because you know if you're talking about the greatest players of all time you know Dennis Rodman for example Dennis Rodman has how many rings does he have uh five championships I believe Dennis Rodman's a five-time NBA champion um he's one defensive player of the year he's got a boatload of rebounding championships and nobody would put Dennis Rodman in their top 20 players of all time, the top 15 or 10 players. He would not come anywhere close to that. Dennis Robin made the top 75 list of this year. And a lot of people had an issue with that. And so, and why is that? It's because Dennis Robin really specialized in defense and rebounding. And that was it. Like if he didn't defend or rebound, then he was useless out there. And that's basically what Steph is. If Steph's three point shot specifically is not falling, he's not impacting the game on a night to night basis other than the gravity and the spacing aspect which counts for a lot. So I'm not trying to discredit that. But if his jumper's not falling, y'all, Steph's not going to get you 10 assists. Steph's not going to get you 10 rebounds. Steph's not going to lock up your, the other team's best perimeter player. Steph's not doing none of that stuff. 
The good news for him and for the Warriors and for everybody in the Bay is that usually his shot has fallen. So I'm not here to like discount that completely either. But when I personally start looking at the best and greatest players of all time, there is a level of nuance that has to take place. And you have to, in my opinion, focus on what all can that player do? Can that player affect the game in more than one way? I've sat on this podcast and told you all that I believe Charles Barkley is one of the 10 best players ever. And in part because I believe he was one of the greatest ever in two things. He was one of the greatest rebounders ever and one of the greatest scorers ever. One of the most efficient scorers you've ever seen. Okay? Steph is great at one thing, shooting. He's great. He's a great scorer, and specifically, he's a great shooter. He's very good at finishing at the rim, but not amazing. There are better guards that, that finish at the rim than him. Um, there are better guards and players with better mid-range game than Steph. He's got great handles. Handles alone doesn't win you much, and there are better players with better handles than him. So it's the three-point shooting specifically that separates him. And if that's not going in, then he's a different player. Now, can he move off the ball? Is he a genius moving off the ball? Absolutely. Um, does, he, does the gravity thing really have an impact on the game? Absolutely. So, again, I don't want to minimize the impact of those things. And when you consider those things and the fact that the team itself, or excuse me, the, the sport has basically changed to fit what Steph does well, yeah, you have to give him a lot of credit for that. But when we have these conversations about the greatest, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, greatest, as I said on Twitter, it's kind of a, a amalgam of talent, stats, accolades, and impact. And if you add those things up, then yeah, Steph is going to rank pretty high. He should rank pretty high on most people's lists. But when I look at these lists and I look at the other names of players that he's compared against, Kobe Bryant was better at basketball than Stephen Curry. I believe that. Hakeem Olajuwon was better at basketball than Stephen Curry. I believe that. And there's a lot of guys that are better players than Steph. Because Steph was only excels at one thing, really. You know what I mean? With the except, I mean, ball handling, I'll give you that. You know, but like basically, again, we're talking about three-point shooting. That's what we're talking about here. And so Steph's amazing at that. But if, if not for that, what is he doing? You know, we've seen Akeem Olajuwon be one of the greatest defenders ever, and we've seen him carry teams offensively to titles. Like, so to put somebody like Steph ahead of him, I just, I, I can't get there. I can't get there. And when I think of the, the mountains of luck and, and lucky breaks that have gone Steph's way and the Warriors' way in these last eight to ten years, I just I can't get past that either. Does every championship team get, championship team get lucky in every sport? Absolutely, 1,000%. So I'm not here to question that part of it. But, I mean, come on now. It's just like, you know, even this year where they acted like, what can they say now? What can they say now? That's how the Warriors are kind of carrying themselves about this particular championship run, and I get why they would say that. But, I mean, if I wanted to nitpick it, I would say that the Warriors somehow managed to duck the Suns and Bucks this year. (laughs) The two teams that were in the finals last year, one team was head and shoulders the best team in basketball this regular season, and the Bucks who have probably the best player in basketball, Giannis, they managed to avoid all of that. The guy that had the 50-point game in the closeout game six last year, they managed to avoid him. And then they get the Celtics and, and Jason Tatum, who appeared to be a little bit scared at the moment, you know, in, in, on some levels. I mean, like, that's, that's who they ran up against. And they ran up against the one-man show in Dallas. Now, granted, Dallas beat Phoenix. And I don't know what the hell happened to Phoenix. You can go back and listen to my last podcast, and I talked about that. We know that the Suns had you – know, there's rumors now that they had a COVID outbreak and that Chris Paul may have had an injury. I don't know what happened to them. 
But I know that the team that played in the playoffs towards the end was not the same team that we saw all season long. And if we saw that team that, they, that played all season long in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, I don't know that the Warriors are in the finals. And then if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, I don't think the Celtics are in the finals. And I don't think Miami's going to beat Milwaukee, and I think Milwaukee's right back there. And so I talk about luck, and I talk all about all the bad breaks that Chris Paul got in his career on my last podcast. I named some of them. I didn't even name all of them. But look at all the breaks that the Warriors get. They've had injury luck, not just with Steph and his ankles, which we thought was going to be a problem that was going to hamper him his entire career. And as it turns out, now you have... Uh, other teams' star players getting hurt. We saw that throughout the 2015 run. And then all of a sudden, Durant comes over out of nowhere. And that only happened because the Thunder blew a 3-1 lead themselves to Golden State. And then we saw the uh, the cap went up with all the TV revenue that came in that same year. And it coincided with one another. And it matched up. And then all of a sudden, Steph Curry's asked to do way less because he's got a teammate with Kev- of Kevin Durant's ability on the squad on a team that won 70-something games before. <laughs> so... I mean, 73 games, which is a record. And then, again, Steph's in this great organization, and second-round picks turn into great steals, and late first-rounders turn into key contributors, and Kevin Durant gifts them a sign-and-trade rather than a, a outright leave in free agency. You know what I'm saying? And, and then they're able to turn that into Wiggins. Like, these little things that just, some of it's good management, but a lot of it's just good breaks. And now, all of a sudden, they're back in the playoffs and they're not playing the two teams that everybody most people had in the finals most people had either phoenix and or milwaukee in the finals and they managed to avoid both of them and all they have to get past is 23 year old luca and 24 year old tatum and that's who that's how they and then now everybody's like now we're supposed to be like oh what are they gonna say now i'm gonna say that y'all didn't have exactly the toughest road to the nba championship that's what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say if chris paul and the Suns last year were playing this year's celtics i would say chris paul would have a ring on his resume and I think things look a little bit different historically. But that's, that's the breaks, man. That's just how this game goes. It's just, are y'all willing to acknowledge it? Um, last thing I'll say quickly about the Celtics and, and Tatum. Um, still looked a little skittish at times. Didn't attack all the mismatches that he could have. Too many fallbacks, stepbacks, fadeaways. Didn't attack the rim with conviction. Um, I think him and, to a lesser extent, Jalen both have a level they can go up. But uh, the Celtics need a point guard, man. The floor game was all over the place. They couldn't keep, take care of the ball or anything like that. Um, but, but the experience was good for them. And they're still ahead of the curve as a, as a unit. So I'm not going to kill Brown and Tatum for this loss. And Andrew Wiggins is the fa- final piece of the puzzle who I took a victory lap on because he won Rookie of the Year. And I said that he should have went number one that year to the Cavs. Turns out Embiid was by far the best player to come out of that draft class. So I was actually wrong. But in a, weird, in a weird roundabout way, I was still kind of right because Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on this Warriors team this year, certainly in the playoffs and, and definitely in the finals. And you, if, if I told you that a guy that you were going to pick number one in the draft would wind up being the second best player on the championship team, you would take that guy number one in the draft every single time. When you draft first overall, you hope that you're going to get a guy who's going to be the best player on a championship team. But if I told you that you were going to get the number two guy on a championship team with the first pick in the draft, much like Kyrie Irving was for the Cavaliers, you would sign up for that. You would sign up for that. And Andrew Wiggins, it took a while. It took a lot of good fortune. It took getting into the right system and being around the right players and team and coaching. But it worked out. We saw sides of Wiggins we had never seen before. And now he's an NBA champion. It's funny how that stuff works. And I think that is a great transition into this year's 2022 Mark Draft. And with that, we're back. 
Mark Hicks sat through a, a four minute preamble of me uh, just talking about uh, just setting up the Mark draft. And I, I forgot to hit record. So we're just going to do it again real quick. But, you know, we were talking about Mark being a, uh, amongst Silky Johnson and, and Buck Nasty and one of the biggest haters in the world when it comes to Steph and the Warriors. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, uh, without question. So it just makes that 2016 uh, title that much more sweeter. That's all. You know, people say that. You know, people say that, and yet I'm much of I'm so much of a hater. I still wanted him to lose. Like people act like (laughs) people acted like that it was gonna prop up the Cavs championship, and I'm like, nah, I'd still rather see them lose. That's just me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I could go into a uh, on my soapbox and pretty much tell you why Boston lost, but I mean, it's is to me. I, I, I mean, the Warriors won the series. I, I still do not believe that they were the better team. I just don't. I just don't. Well, I think and, I think Boston was more talented, but I think I think right the the adultivity, if you will, of the Warriors prevailed, and that's kind of what I talked about in the first segment. Like the more adult team won the series, but I agree. Uh, but that I aside, that aside, Mark, how you feeling, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. It's uh, another hot one out here in Texas, but uh, we we survive it one day at a time. That's how that's how we do around here. We are here to talk NBA draft, the Mark draft. Mark Hicks, our resident expert, comes to and bless comes to us, blesses the preseason podcast of the year with every team in the lottery. What they ought to do is he sits in the GM chair. So whether that's make the trade of that pick, whether that's draft on need, draft on position draft on uh best player available you know should they should they swing for the fences should they take the safe pick whatever the pick is mark acts as the gm for each team and tells us what they ought to do that's pretty much what it is in a nutshell so um often imitated never duplicated it's the mark draft on the hip-hop sports Sport podcast so mark the orlando magic have the first pick uh the magic have had the first pick before we've seen this we've seen shaquille o'neal have be the number one pick in the draft. We've seen Chris Webber be the number one pick in the draft, which was obviously turning to Anthony Hardaway. And I say obviously for the uh, the older folks who may be listening to this podcast. Um, right. Uh, some of y'all whippersnappers may not be aware of that, but that's how Penny got there. He was not drafted by Orlando. Um, uh, Dwight Howard was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, they had the they have the number one pick in the draft from just a few years ago. Markel Fultz on their roster. Uh, they have an interesting roster, Orlando does, but I don't know what to make of it. I mean, people like it. People like Cole Anthony and people like the Wagner brothers. And I felt like um, Jalen Suggs was a bit of a disappointment um, to which let me just go ahead and go on record and, and give you props for your uh, pounding the table last year for the 2021-22 Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes. So bravo to you, Mark. <laughs> Because we haven't gotten that on the podcast. You pounded the you pounded the table and said Scotty Barnes was that dude. Now, in fairness, Scotty Barnes robbed Evan Mobley. Yes. yes. I'm gonna throw that in there, you know. Call me a homer or whatever if you must, but Evan Mobley was that dude all year until like the last two weeks, and then all of a sudden it's like, ah, let's give it to Scotty Barnes. Well, Evan Mobley was hurt. Um, by the wow. way, I have the Stanley Cup on right now, and there's a fist fight going on in the middle of the Stanley Cup. I've never seen that before. Yes. Are you watching this? Yeah. No. Oh, no, no, it's a, it's a, they, it's a fight. Like it was a couple of shots was landed too. It was a like a that, for real. That's what I'm talking about. See, but unlike unlike the NBA, NHL players they really fight. When they say there's a fight going on, there's a there's truly oh, no, a they fight. Ain't playing. It's going. 
They throwing blows. Hey, they trying to hurt somebody. Well, well, I had I had it on in the background. Yeah, no, I I had it on in the background, and it was definitely getting a little contentious. You could tell, and then all and 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 Colorado's getting embarrassed tonight, and then all of a sudden. A fight breaks out, which I mean, from what I've known, I've never seen a fight in the playoffs. Like they don't, they don't typically fight in the playoffs. But right. that was a full-on fist fight, and the refs let it happen. So, uh, but anyway, that was that was quality television. Um, so getting back to Orlando, they're twenty-two and sixty. Jamal Mosley is the coach there. Um, but yeah, I was saying you pounded the table for Scotty Barnes, and and um, Orlando got stuck holding the bag because they got stuck with Jalen Suggs, and Suggs was the uh consensus number four selection on most mocks to toronto last year because they knew kyle lowry was out the door and they said okay we got the point guard of the future jalen suggs and it was like mm. you know masai ujiri has some different plans and then they get the rookie of the year air quote rookie of the year and scotty bards and uh and then suggs goes to orlando and kind of underwhelms but they have all these lottery picks in orlando mark i don't know if you're aware of this they could have going into next year. The Magic could have six lottery picks, nine top sixteen picks, twelve first round picks on their roster. That's basically the entire team, top to bottom, all first round picks. I mean, that's possible for this franchise. Um, Time for some willing and dealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Willing and dealing. Indeed, indeed, wow. indeed. All right. So, Mark, if you're running. The Magic, what are you doing with this pick? I have an idea of a guy who I think should probably... I, here's the thing. There's three There's three guys, and you're going to talk about all of them. There's three guys that are the consensus as far as who should probably be in the top three in this draft. And there's one right. of them that I definitely would not take with the first pick. But uh-huh. but then the other two, maybe so. So w- w- what should Orlando be doing? Well, um, just as a... This is a preamble... Uh, before I select the, uh, make the selection, you're talking about Jabari Smith from Auburn. You're talking about Paolo Banchero from uh, Duke, and you talk about Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. Correct. And those, those are the those are consensus three, top three picks. And you you can look at a, a thousand different uh, mock drafts, and they they have I- any one of them being the number one pick. Uh, for me though, and I'm looking at the Magic's roster, and while they have a lot of I guess they have they have talent on this on the roster. They to me they don't have that bona fide star, that one person that's saying that you can sit up there and say, okay, when they show uh, the the Orlando Magic on TV, they show like one of their players. And right now they don't have that one star that you can uh, associate with the Orlando Magic, in my opinion. For me in particular, if I'm the Magic, I'm going Jabari Smith from Auburn, and the reason why is because. Of all of those three players that you're just mentioning, he is to me uh, not only one of the best, not only the best shooter amongst the three, but he's one of the best shooters in the draft. If you want to go top to bottom, uh, pound for pound, he's one of the best shooters in the draft. And I think for him, he has to me, he has the most star quality to come in right off the bat and become to become a star. Uh, my son and I will always talk about, you know, how I can't stand Auburn players since Charles Barkley graduated from there. Um, but he's one of those rare, rare unicorn type players who can do multiple things at his size of 6'10, 220 with a seven foot wingspan. So for me, if I'm the Orlando Magic, that's the person I would start 
as a as the cornerstone building block of my franchise. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I would agree that that's the way that Orlando probably will go, and I would agree that that's the direction that they probably should go. Um, you don't see six ten guys that have the confidence in their stroke like he does at this age. I mean, he shot almost forty four percent from three um, as a as a nineteen year old freshman. This Jabari Smith is kind of like the next evolution of Chris Bosh. Like we saw what Chris Bosh was when he went to Miami and. He, he was a he was a low block player in Toronto those first six seven years of his career he goes to Miami LeBron basically converts him into a, a stretch four floor spacer and Chris Bosh could make a three but that definitely was not his game and I feel like the next evolution of that is Jabari Smith um, he can block shots yeah he can get he can grab steals and stuff like that 17 points a game out the gate as a freshman uh I love the fact that he went to Auburn because he, Charles Barkley did go to Auburn. So anytime you can sneak in a Barkley reference on this podcast, I'll, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I figured that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, you know, they're going to have some moves to make and some decisions to make. I mean, they have the Wagner boys who are both uh, about the same size as Smith. And then they still have, uh, I believe they have uh, Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac yeah. still on that team. So it's a pretty crowded yeah. front court. But, Smith's upside is such that you, I think you have to pull the trigger on him, uh, number one. Uh, the OKC Thunder would pick second. They were 24 and 58 last year. But let me tell you this OKC, they have two, they had a lottery pick last year that turned out to be Josh Giddy, had a very solid year, uh, second team all NBA rookie. This year they have two lottery picks. And the, in the next coming years, they could have, they could have, they probably won't, but they could have as many as. Five first-round picks next year. Uh, three first-rounders in 2024. Four first-rounders in 2025. And three first-rounders in 2026. Oh my That's insane. God. Now, again, they're, they're probably only going to get, at best, half of those picks. But, right. But just because of the protections and the conveyance or whatever. But that's still pretty impressive. Um, but we know that they're cornerstone guys right now. They know We know they have Giddy. They, they love Lou Dort as a defender on the wing, and he's, his shot's getting better. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think, is overrated, but people seem to love him. He puts up stats on a bad team. He Shea, Listen, SGA puts up stats on a bad team, and people love him and say he's slept on. Colin Sexton puts up stats on a bad team, and people say he's a ball hog and, and he sucks right. and all this other stuff. <laughs> who, who shoots better from the field? Colin Sexton. You know what I'm saying? And Colin Sexton's a lot smaller, so you would think that what young bulls doing is more impressive than SGA because SGA is like five inches taller than him. And so, and the only difference is that SGA gets a couple more assists a game. I don't, you know, the, the, the analytics and the advanced numbers don't like Colin Sexton. And I get that, but I just feel like the way that people view those two guys, it, it just, it's annoying to me. At any rate, uh, I don't know if SGA can be the number one guy on a great team, but maybe he can be a number two or number three. Um, right. So um, the big thing that this team has to determine is number one, I don't even know how to say their coach's name. Mark Dagenault, I think. I don't, I don't even know. Um, yeah, I think that's that. I think that's close. I, yeah, you're close in how he's pronounced because I, I, I don't know how it's pronounced. You got to be a real NBA he's head. Like to, years anyway. Yeah, you got to be a real NBA head to know his name. But at any rate, here's right. the big decision. When does this franchise turn the corner? Because they have all a treasure trove picks that I just mentioned. But – you know, they need to figure out Sam Presti and company. What type of vets do they want on this team? And when do they want to turn exactly. the corner? They, ha- they had Al Horford on the team, and then they gave him away. And then Al Horford became a key contributor 
on a team that went to the finals. Exactly. They, when, whenever it is that they decide to be good in their timeline, they're going to have to get some vet players uh, in there that can make a difference to go with these young stars. But they need another young star cornerstone. So who should that be at number two? We have Paolo and we have uh, Chet Holmgren. Although Chet Holmgren has been like the consensus number one guy since uh, the college basketball season started, I'm going with Paolo Banchero, the 16th the, the forward from Duke, because he is a legit 16, as we found, in the, found out in the combine. That's without shoes. So basically he's a seven-footer. And he does a lot, of, a lot of some of the things that uh, Jabari Smith does, but he has a 240, 250-pound frame. So he's he is going to be a, a cornerstone at that power forward spot. And I think for, for what they need right now, the Thunder, and, and even long-term, I think he will be a good fit for what they're doing with the, with the backcourt that they have. They need to beef up the frontcourt, and that's a good corner piece for them going forward. So that's who I would go with of the two. So, Paolo, you have as the pick out of Duke, number two to OKC. And, um, again, I would tend to agree that that is the direction that the Oklahoma City Thunder should be looking. Um, 19-year-old freshman, 6'10", 250. You don't see a lot of 19-year-olds that are 6'10", 250. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty wild. But, um, but I mean, yeah, but, I mean – Paolo has all the, the, the intangibles for the game. You know, he can score. Um, I mean, if he sh- tightens up his perimeter shooting just a little bit, I think he'll be, he has the potential to be an all-star. Um, although I have to admit, I, I envision Oklahoma City taking Chet Holmgren here at number two. And I also... I, I, I'm almost positive that's going to happen. Well, and I don't know. I mean, Sam Presti, you know, sharp dude. He's made a lot of great picks. He made a lot of great decisions running that team. So I don't want to, you know, if, if, if Sam Presti picks Chet Holmgren number two, maybe he knows something that you and I don't know, and that wouldn't shock me because the guy's really sharp. However, I also feel that Chet Holmgren might be the guy that your son Terrell is not fond of in this draft class. <laughs> is is that the guy? Fan. So, so I actually have him right here next to me. So, what do you think? What do you think about uh, your boy Chet? We had this conversation. To me, Chet Holmgren is just so frail. I don't like frail guys, and he doesn't use his length against mismatches enough to me. Like he has a guard on him, he's facing up, trying to shoot the jumper instead of just taking him low and going to the rack. I have a problem with guys like that. You see dudes like Anthony Davis struggle so much with physicality. I see that with Chet Holmgren. But, I mean, when you get a guy that's 7'3", that can move like he can, it's hard not to pick him. But I, I'm, just, I'm just not with that. I think he could easily be a bust. <laughs> so, here, yeah. And so, and, and then let me guess, Mark, with the third pick, do you have the Rockets taking Chet Holmgren, especially now that they traded – uh, Christian Wood for nothing. Absolutely, yeah. That we that we just had that conversation uh, last night. The fact that they traded Christian Wood this opens up the door for one of these big guys, and in particular Chad Holmgren, because I think with what they have on the Rockets roster right now, they need they need a guy who's as skilled as as Chet. Um, the problem is he's just so light in the britches. He's only one hundred ninety five pounds, man. That's insane. That's, that's, that's <laughs> 
it's ridiculous, man. I mean, he looks he looks like he's been starving himself before the before the combine. It's, and it's and he's going to get punished by a lot of these uh, veteran uh, forwards in the NBA. It's just, just he doesn't have the frame, the the body yet to really battle with these with these guys, grown men with, for eighty two games a year. That's just a lot to take on him. And I and with even though the Thunder and the Magic are uh, have a lot more time to build him to get him ready. Uh, I don't think for them, you know, the immediate impact would be there if they if those two teams would take him. Whereas on the Rockets, he was not the focal point there, so he can actually hide and still be able to grow on that team. And I think he can the, play the four. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the fact that he is going to. If, if if the draft falls the way you're saying, he would he would slip. And thank you, Terrell, for your for your input. Uh, my my little cousin Terrell, not so little anymore. Uh, grown man with the grown man analysis. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, but at any rate, yeah, man. I mean, like Chet, if he falls to third, then the spotlight's not on him. I mean, it, there's a big difference between going number one in a draft and going number two or three in a draft. It just is. Okay, yeah, we've seen number one picks flame out. And then we see number two and three picks going to do great things in the same draft. I mean, it's not that unusual. Um, and I just feel like Chet, if he falls to three, like you said, he can kind of live in obscurity a little bit. Um, Jalen Green is still the highlight. It's making explosive dude. And, you know, like you said, Chet Holmgren is not going to be uh, the focal point or he's not going to be destined to have to carry the load for the future by himself. Um, now, what do you like about Chet Holmgren? Well, he's huge and he's long and he's, he blocks three and a half shots a game and he shoots 40% yeah. from three, over 41% from three, actually. So yeah. he's got some qualities that are, that are really um, excellent qualities that you'd want to have in a player. Uh, am I super pumped about drafting an, uh, an emaciated 19-year-old to be the future of my <laughs> franchise? Not really, unless... He's Kevin Durant. You know what I'm saying? Remember when Kevin right. Durant came out, Mark, and he and he couldn't he couldn't do one rep on the bench. <laughs> no, <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I remember that. Oh yeah, the, the, and the, the, that, that made so much fun of him not being able to to you know lift the bar the barbell weigh more than he did. Well, it was it was, was, was two twenty five. Cool. It was two. I believe the I believe the the standard weight is like two twenty five at the combine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and he could not get I up did. one rep as a nineteen year old. Not one. Um, fortunately for him, being a great basketball player is not strictly based upon one's ability to lift weights. And so there's hope for Chet yet, but again, I mean, I, I see Chet Holmgren as being a piece. I don't see him being the best player on anybody's championship team. Is he, can he be the second or third best player? Maybe. Maybe um, I'm for some reason I'm he doesn't play anything like him I don't think but for some reason I'm reminded of Jonas Valanciunas when he came into the draft back in 2011 and Jonas Valanciunas you know he, he nobody thought he was going to be uh, all star necessarily but he was a big man that came in and there you know there's a, you could do a lot worse at the center position than him right. and so just to have him. Um, in that in that spot, like I, I I don't know, man. I just don't think it's it's the worst thing in the world if he's a piece and he's your second or third best player. You know, I was just saying 
before you jumped on, I was talking about Andrew Wiggins briefly, and I know you don't like Andrew Wiggins, but <laughs> but here's the thing. Andrew Wiggins went number one in the draft uh, a few years ago, and he's now the – this season, he was the second-best player on the championship team. Hey, hey, love him or hate him. Yeah, which, which, terms really, of, which really scares me for a number of different reasons. Say it again. What's, what's that? I said, which kind of scares me because – Quite honestly, I mean, and I think we talked about this as as a group chat with my brother and your brother and, and our cousin Mike. Um, he's been in the league for uh, all these years. And quite honestly, he has never really gotten better. He's been the same. This, what he is now is pretty much what he was when he got drafted. He hasn't really changed that much. And, I mean, defensively, he's gotten better. I guess he's, he's he's got to the point where he's actually using the tools that he has to be a a very good above average defender. But as far as his offensive game and things of that nature, he really hasn't gotten better with that because I mean, they was talking about him being this, 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 uh, this uh, once in the generation type talent. And right. he really never amassed to that. But like you said, if he, if you put him on a team where he doesn't have to be the focal point and he could just be one of the guys on the team, he could actually, uh, be a very good basketball player on a championship team. Yeah, and that's he what I'm just saying. doesn't need to be the focal point exactly, right. like you right. was talking about. Right. I mean, like you, like if if anybody, if they, if if you draft a guy number one overall, and you tell me this guy is his ceiling is to be the second best player on a championship team, you would gladly take that player number one. That yeah. that because what you're describing is a top twenty player probably in the league, maybe top twenty five usually. Um, now Wiggins isn't that I would say, but like generally speaking, I mean that's that's kind of in the ballpark that you're you're operating in. And so, Chet Holmgren, if he's you know if he maybe he's not good enough to be the best player on a championship team, but maybe he's good enough to be the third best player, and he's a he's a key piece to whatever they're doing down in Houston. Um, they can pair him with crazy Kevin Porter, who uh, had a fifty point game this year. Uh, you know what I'm saying and Whatever they can get for that John Wall contract, yeah. I mean that that's going to be Houston's future. John Wall makes forty-seven millions next year, forty-seven million. So, um, if, if if only if only they got something back for uh, Christian Wood, they'd be in some decent shape. Because um, they got Sengun right. also, who I believe is, uh, was a rookie last year, and he had a good season as well. So, um, yeah, he's he going to be playing center. So I guess he would be a, a twin towers type of deal with Sengun and Chet Holmgren to go with Porter. Uh, uh, Jalen Green and something else. I don't know what, but I kind of hate the Rockets, so forget them. Moving on. Sacramento. <laughs> I, I got a long-standing hatred for the Houston Rockets. I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, Sacramento. Guess who the Sacramento Kings coach is, Mark? Oh, your boy Mike Brown. Mike Brown's back. He's back. You can't kill him. You can't kill you can't, him. Can't get rid of him. He is like Beetlejuice. You know what, he man? He's going to get a job. You got to give Mike Brown props. I mean, I know people kill Mike Brown all the time, especially people from Cleveland, and I get it. But he had the Warriors playing some defense. That man can coach his ass off on the defensive end of the floor. That's what I, I agree. Do, so, I mean, like, we yes. saw what he did with the Cavs. We saw what he did with Golden State just now. I mean, he's one of the top assistants in the league. If he's basically your defensive coordinator, he's – I mean, he's phenomenal on that end of the floor. I've watched – Mike Brown coach up close defensive basketball principles. Like I've seen, I've sat through a coaching session with Mike Brown before guys. Excellent on the defensive end of the floor. I don't know that he knows the first thing about offense, 
and maybe <laughs> hanging around Steph Curry and Steve Kerr through osmosis, maybe he picks something up. But uh, he's going to be here in Sacramento now. Um, they have an interesting roster too, man. They got a decent mix of youthful guys and vets. They got a guy that went to Bowling Green with Sean Holmes, so shout out to him. But besides that, they got Dante DiVincenzo. They got Davion Mitchell. They have, uh, you know, De'Aaron Fox, who I don't know if he's long for the team, but he's still there for now. I don't love Fox, but I like him. And they have Demonis Sabonis, who's an all-star. These are all guys that I like in theory. I don't know how they fit together. It feels like this team needs to make a, needs to make a big swing at some point, Mark. But but if you're running Sacramento, how do you how do you help this team get out of the lottery? Well, I I I think at this point, I mean, we we've always been talking about Sacramento. They they're in the top. They're not in the top ten every year. Every single year, it seems like they get talented ball players, but for whatever reason, they don't fit. And then as a team, they don't get better. They're gonna have to have to find that one piece to start this whole process. They got a lot of like a, a lot of talent on the team, but I think if you looking for that one guy, that one star uh, guy with star type potential, they don't have it. And so for me, if I'm the Kings and I'm looking at my roster, I need I need that type of guy who I, who can be hopefully the face of this franchise going forward. So for me, I'm going to take Jaden Ivey the shooting guard from Purdue because he is about as explosive as a college player as I've seen this year. And most importantly for the, for him, he could actually uh, just bring, bring some type of uh, oomph is not a word, but it's something to that extent to Sacramento to the point where they actually have a ball player who is not only going to be, uh, really good with that unit with that team, but also being recognized throughout the league because he's that he's going to be that talented and that special. I, I just see big things from him, and I think if he's in the, with the right fit with the right combination of players, I think he will be fine. So that's if I'm Sacramento, that's why I would start with with this process and give Mike Brown somebody who can actually he can mold defensively because and on top of that be a, a, an, an elite scorer in this league as well. So that's why I'm going with. I'm going with Jay Ivey. Ordinarily, you would want to build around your star player and maybe put players around him that would cover up his weaknesses, right? I think maybe Sacramento needs to cover up for the weaknesses of Mike Brown as an offensive coach. Because <laughs> that's basically what LeBron did for like three or four years there. I mean, we saw LeBron was a one-man show right. on offense – for the cast, Mike Brown was Correct. like, I don't. Mike Brown was like, I don't give a damn what y'all do on offense. As long as y'all bust your behind on defense, y'all can do whatever you want on offense. And that was problematic because, you know, he let LeBron do everything and he didn't know what he was doing. It seemed like on offense, De'Aaron Fox. Right. I'm reading a stat here that says De'Aaron Fox, after Tyrese Halliburton was traded to Indiana, that Fox averaged almost 29 points a game after that deal. So that's an insane number. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you know, the only mean, question is, is that is that 29 points? Is that fool's goal or is it or is it truly because him and Halliburton just didn't fit together and they and he needs a better fit? Somebody I mean, who doesn't the ball, dominate the ball to be successful. I don't know, man. I just know Fox. He averaged Fox averaged 27 a game in February. And he averaged 
31 points a game in March. I didn't even realize that. And then the season apparently got cut short. But, man, that's pretty crazy. So, I mean, like, the numbers are there for him. And, you know, I don't know how him and Ivy fit together. It seems like they might not. But I agree with you that Ivy has the upside. And if your team stinks, why would you base – why would you draft on need if your team stinks? Like, you might as well just go for the best guy and hope that you strike oil, right? Right. I mean, and, and, and Ivy's a tremendous athlete. So, um, you know, I, I like that pick if I'm Sacramento. Fifth is Detroit. And speaking of building around your cornerstone guys, Kate Cunningham came on strong late in the season, um, averaging 23, 7, and 6 on 48% shooting in the month of March. Everybody's kind of suggesting that Jeremy Grant's going to get dealt out of Detroit. Some people are even rumoring that he's going to go to the Cavs. Uh, Sadiq Bay is solid. Uh, he had a 50-point game this year as well. But what Dwayne Casey and that franchise needs to be focused on is doing whatever it is that they can do to make things right for Cade. So how would you help Cade, Mark, with the, with the fifth pick? So how I would help Cade, which is a little bit different than what my son would, would do with this pick, um, to them, they I think what Cade needs right now, see, he has a lot of LeBron in him in the sense that he likes to make plays for others and he likes to, you know, space the floor, allow him to drive to the hoop and then kick it out to, you know, to someone who's uh, who's, who's shooting the three on the outside or just facing the floor in general. So to me, the person that would, would best fit that quality out of the guys that are left right now, to me would be Keegan Murray from, from Iowa, which is somebody that my son is not a big fan of because he said he's watched Keegan Murray's games a lot this season, and he was not a fan. He he just was not a fan of his. But I think just by looking at him and his and his skill set with a K Cunningham, because like we like we talked about, it's all about fit. Sometimes it's not necessarily about who's the better player, it's about who fits who fits the team the best and what you're trying to do. And I think if if uh Dwayne Casey, if you know how his how his style of play has been. You know, he's very defensive minded, but at the same time, you know, with a guy like Kay Cunningham, he's going to need shooters, going to need guys who can space the floor. And I think, I, I think, especially in the front court, Keegan Murray can be that type of guy and will also give Kay Cunningham a true running mate to go uh, to battle night in and night out against the, uh, the teams in the East. So that's the person I would go with. Now, is Terrell still with you? Yes. Terrell, what should be for Keegan Murray, man? I mean, outside of the three-point shooting, I really don't see what's so special about him. Like, I think he could be a solid player, but you are, like, if there's a guy in the league that I would describe him as, it maybe would be a lesser version of Sabonis. And, like, are you picking a guy that's not as good as Sabonis that high? And I don't see if he's going to be able to be that good defensively. He's already shorter than most power forwards in the league now. He's only 6'8". So he's going to be shorter on defense. And he's already at this disadvantage. Yeah. So, like, at that point, he's at best, I feel like he's just giving you a three-point shot, and that's it. I I saw him a lot, and it seemed like – the bigger the game was, he kind of looked less, in my opinion. 
Mm. He looks strength like a star. Guy strength yeah, under pressure. Not good. So not good. I, <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of I'm just not a fan of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing. All I, all I would hear is like, this guy sucks. I would, all I would hear. <laughs> That's all I would hear from him. He, just, he could not stand him. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Here, here, here's the counterpoint that I would make. And, and I'm not here to necessarily – I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm not, like, waving the Keegan Murray flag. But what right. I'll say is that he is he, – he can't shoot the threes. He's 38% on threes this past year. Um, what he lacks in size, I think he makes up for in effort. And he still managed to get two blocks and a steal a game. And granted, being 6'8 in college and being 6'8 in the NBA are two very different things, and I recognize that. But I think, you know – the, the guy, from what I understand, was was unranked as a high school prospect, and now he's turned himself into a high lottery pick. That's yeah. That's that takes effort, and that takes want to and will. And those type of dudes, you typically those are the type of dudes that you want on your roster, even if they're not the perfect fit and they don't have all the perfect tangibles. Sometimes you got to draft based on intangibles. The other thing I would say uh, to to counter Terrell's point, which is that you know, you said you know he's okay. Maybe I see him as a as a as a piece, but not like a guy or whatever. And I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying about uh, what your expectations are for somebody who's like number one. If you're picking number, if you're picking number one in the draft, you want that guy that you take to be the best player on a championship team for talent, your franchise. A difference maker, correct. Yeah, you want the number one pick on your team to be the best player on a team that wins a championship. That's what everybody hopes for when they pick first in the draft. The reality is you're probably not going to get that guy. So correct. What you hope for then is, you know, can he be the second best guy on the championship team? And if you draft that guy number one, then that's a pretty good damn, that's a pretty damn good player, right? And yeah, the reality is, if you're drafting fifth like the Pistons are, fifth sounds like a high pick, but in reality, you're probably not going to get an all-star draft in fifth. I mean, you might, but ch- I mean, there's a, there's a really good chance that you're just hoping for a good role player, at five, that can play for a long time in the league, a starter. You want a starter at that spot that can go along Cade Cunningham, not necessarily a superstar. And I know it sounds like, you know, damn, like you have the fifth pick and you have higher expectations for it than that. But I'm telling you, man, the reality is that's what it is. Like you look at the eighth pick, I think the, the what is it? Like the eighth pick hasn't had an all-star in like 20 years or something like that. Like it doesn't take long for the fall off to begin. So my point is that if Keegan Murray is just what you described him as Terrell and he's just – a pretty good player, then that's not a bad pick at five. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so with the sixth pick, it's the Pacers of uh, Indiana. Um, so you mentioned Sabonis. He obviously got traded out of Indiana to Sacramento. And so now the Pacers are in need of a little bit of everything. The Pacers actually have pretty good backcourt depth uh, with Malcolm Brogdon and Chris Duarte and Halliburton now and Buddy Heald and TJ McConnell, I think is still there. Um, they've been, Rumored have been trading Miles Turner for like three years and it hasn't happened yet. Um, TJ Warren's about to walk in free agency, most likely. Rick Carlisle's still the coach that are pretty good there, but this this team needs a lot of work, Mark, right? Yes, it does. Um, so I preface my, my pick for the Pacers by letting you know that this will be the domino that will start a lot of different changes to that to that organization and to that team in particular. So the person I'm going to pick is going to be an integral part of what they do next. And why I say that is the person I have the Pacers picking is Dyson Daniels, the point guard 
from uh, G League Ignite and originally from Australia. And the reason why I have him is because if I put put him, uh, uh, Dyson Daniels, who's 6'7", 195, he's basically like a wing player playing point guard, and you place him next to Halliburton, who's a 6'5 guy, you have a Chris Duarte off the bench, um, and you have um, you have those three as your as your main rotation. For me in particular, um, and even even if you're going to keep a TJ McConnell at this point, I'm willing to do that. But to me, to me, the odd man out is Malcolm Brogdon, and and this also is a trickle down effect because to me, looking at the finals this year. The one player that I think would have helped Boston in in their in their uh, in their uh, their series against the Warriors is someone who could handle the ball, someone who's not going to get pressured. And the, those, I mean, they had every every single turnover in that in that final se- uh, series: apple, blueberry, cherry, strawberry, you name it. It was all kinds of turnovers. And for me, in particular, when you have your top two players. With Boston having uh, Jason Tatum with 100 turnovers and 95 turnovers from uh, from Jalen Brown in a in, in a six game series, you already asking for trouble. There's it's no way you're going to be able to win. And as good as Marcus Smart is, and I love Marcus Smart, and we talked about him plenty of times. He's not a point guard in this in traditional sense of trying to dictate pace, get the offense involved. So for me, if I'm Boston, that's the person I'm targeting. I'm targeting Malcolm Brogdon, and it, I don't think you have to give up much to get him. And I think in this case here, with if you're the Pacers, you're going to want a, a different guy manning a point guard spot, and that will help me out as far as transitioning to a, a, a more uh, athletic, longer backcourt with with both uh, Daniels and Halliburton in the backcourt going forward, so that's the person I would go for in Dyson Daniels with the with the mindset of trying to reduce the amount of players in that backcourt, in particular Malcolm Brogdon. Well, uh, I hear all that, and I think you know Malcolm Brogdon has been seemingly available for a little bit as well. So it seems like Indiana's kind of ready to move on from him, even though I like Malcolm Brogdon. Dyson Daniels, my thing with him is that, number one, he, he can't really shoot yet. I mean, he, he's at, statistically anyways, he's at 25% from three this past year. That's not great. Um, and while he can play some D and he can pass it a little bit, I, I mean, I, I think point guards are really easy to find. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've never found, we've never been in an era where point guards were easier to come by. There's There's legit star quality point guards in almost every draft. So why, if I'm Indiana, I would not be looking to add to a position of strength on my roster already by putting another dude in there who actually can't shoot. Cause he's never going to play. I mean, if they keep Brogdon, he ain't going to play over Brogdon and he's probably not going to play over Duarte. He's not going to play over Buddy Heald. He's not going to play. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would be, hopefully trying to find somebody in the front court uh in exactly if I'm, if I'm the pacers or maybe and maybe what you're saying is they take brogdon and they flip him for a front court player so i could i could see that maybe that's what i'm talking about all these different guys that you're that you're mentioning i i, I don't think there's long there's a long-term uh future with them in and um in indiana 
And with that, with those backcourt pieces, which to some degree, uh, especially like, you know, some of the uh, some of the wing type players, I guess, I mean, you can flip them for some of the front some for some front court players that they currently don't have. And I think that's probably the route that they should go. Um, and, you know, and quite honestly, let's get real. Indiana's not winning anything anytime soon. So it's not like they have, no, you know, they're, 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 they're in a, a speed racer type thing to try to try to get into the uh, the playoffs and then uh, the Eastern Conference Finals within a year or two. They're a long way away, and they have time to really, really dictate what type of direction they want to go in. So that's where my mind is going with them. And then where's your mind going with Portland? They finally <laughs> broke up the Dame and CJ backcourt after all these years. And when you look at what they got for CJ McCollum, it really isn't all that much. And nope. Dame Lillard still has like one of the highest Q ratings in the league. People still love him, but for my money, that dude still really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. Granted, he's had some not so great teams to work with, but and I'm not saying he's not great, but it's just like for the love that he gets, I you know I would like to have seen a little bit more out of him. Um, but they gave away CJ and Larry Nance last year. He had this mm-hmm. abdominal injury, did Lillard, and he really wasn't able to come back from it. So Portland kind of tanked this year, and I think they're looking to build around Dame. And their timeline, their their you know their time horizon is now because Dame Lillard is what 31, 32 years old. Like he's not getting any younger. Um, all the speculation is that they're going to trade this pick. So how, how should they approach it? So. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of it twofold, and Terrell and I have talked about this last uh, also last night. So for me, it, you, it comes down to the mindset of the of the general manager. What what type of direction are you trying to go in? And I ask that question to say, okay, do I want to try to win while I have uh, Dame Lillard on my team locked for three more years at an at a ridiculous amount of money, or do I start? Or, or was CJ the first pe- first domino to fall of a bunch of chess pieces to just blow this whole thing up and start over again? For me, and 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 this is what this is where you know as a GM, this is where you really and truly make your money. This is where you where you either going to keep your job or you're going to end up being on the unemployment line because you have to make a decision of where you want or where you want the direction of your of your team to go. So for me. If I'm if I'm the GM of the Blazers, I'm gonna try to ride this thing out with Dame as much as possible. The biggest issue that I that they've had is their their lack of front court players with a tiny back uh, tiny backcourt. As much as I like CJ and Dame, they were too sm- they were getting killed defensively, and because of that, they didn't have you have to be strong up front to really. To, to really protect the rim and to cover up their defensive liabilities. So if with with that, in fact, now that you realize that that combination was not going to work, you need to get a defensive-minded uh, helper in the backcourt for for Dame if you're going to go this route, go in this direction. To me, out of all the players that are that are that are left as far as backcourt help. And it pains me to say this because, quite honestly, I was hoping this guy would drop after 10. But if, if I'm the GM, I'm taking this guy right now at 7, and that guy is Johnny Davis uh, from Wisconsin. Because I think not only what he brings in offensively, but I think defensively and the fact that he's a 6'5 guard 
can actually help on the defensive end and cover up a lot of these liabilities they, that they have defensively because the only way they're going to get better is if they get if they have a mindset of getting better on defense and to me johnny davis will will, will give dame a big break as far as uh defending and things of that nature and then and and he's the type of guy who can also get his own shot so that all the offense doesn't have to fall on Dane. So, but uh, I mean, the time frame is now, and I think of all the the, the guys that's in the backcourt that's left, he's the guy that's most NBA ready to, to start right now and, and contribute right now. So that's who I would go with. If I'm, if I'm the Blazer, I'm going with Johnny Davis. I feel like Portland should trade Dane, honestly. I mean, that's a, actually a possibility, like, and and quite uh, honestly, they they probably need to blow it up and start over again. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, I, you know how I feel about shoot first point guards being the key or or the driving force behind the NBA champion. Now I know people are probably rolling their eyes because Golden State just won. I never really won, counted. Right. Well, I never really counted Golden State because it's the, the shoot first point guards being the number one option. That's that's kind of been my thing. Um, I, I've never believed in that philosophy, at least not in, in my adult life. Have I ever thought that a team with a shoot-first point guard could ever be an NBA champion? And even if you believe that Golden State proved me wrong, first of all, I don't really – I threw out 2015 because of the injuries to the Cavs. I don't even count that year. And right. then I don't count the Durant years because Durant was the number one scoring option on those teams. So then right. that just leaves this year where the, the, Celt, the uh, Warriors just beat the Celtics – and even if you look at that, it's kind of like, all right, well, I, I mean, I can nitpick that because I did in the first half of the podcast where I was like, you know, I still think uh, the Bucks probably beat them in a series if Chris Middleton's not hurt, <laughs> but and, and, and then it doesn't happen. But even if it does, that's like one example. Is Steph Curry the greatest shooter ever? I don't think any more <laughs> Steph Currys are walking through that door. I don't know that Dame Lillard is as, you know, I mean, he's... He's about 80, 90% of what Steph is, maybe even more than that. But, like, I mean, are you really about to win an NBA championship with Dame Lillard as your best player? No. He's best suited as a number two, much like Kyrie Irving was in Cleveland. So um, move him. Do him a favor. Get him into a better situation. He's he's earned that much of your franchise. Get all the picks you can get back from. Don't don't trade him for garbage like you did C.J. McCollum. You keep this seventh pick. You draft the best player available, regardless of position. Maybe it is Johnny Davis. Maybe it isn't. And then you move on. And then you stink for two, three, four years, and it's going to be dark. But, you know, the night is darkest before the dawn, man. But, like, trying to build around a 31, 32-year-old Dame Lillard coming off an injury plague season with no C.J. McCollum, no Larry Nance. is basically just him and Nurkic and and uh, Simons and whatever they yeah. get at seven or four seven. It's just not enough to make any kind of imprint on the West, man. So it's like, why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting Dame Lillard's time? It's Dame time. Time to trade him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think, but I, I think what the issue comes with is who are you going to trade him to? Who's going to want to take on that massive, massive? Oh no, 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 that, 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 that's nothing to be concerned about. You you see big contracts get moved all the time for guys that can't even yeah. play anymore. You know, Dame can still hoop. So right. he'll, they'll find a taker for Dame Lillard if the if the if the goal was to trade him. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how much they'll get back from a given team, but they will have plenty of takers lining up around the block, around the Rose Garden, if Dame Lillard becomes available. Um, at eight, New Orleans 
coming off of an entertaining series against Phoenix where they pushed the Suns to six games. Willie Green had them boys hustling out there. Um, Herb Jones played great. Jose Alvarado was highly overrated, but he played pretty decent. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, man. Alvarado, he, he tried hard, <laughs> but it was it was overrated. He's a uh, guy gets one steal and, and runs around a lot, and people want to wet themselves. It's like, come on, man. Come on, man. Um, who actually stepped up, though, was Brandon Ingram. He stepped up. Yes, he um, It took yes, him six years, but he finally went to another level. And now, uh, <laughs> I want to say the elephant in the room is Zion Williamson, but I feel like that's too much of an insult to Zion. Yeah, that, um, that's that's actually hilarious, by the way. The <laughs> elephant in the room, thing, right? <laughs> the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is, is Zion. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with Zion, man. Help Griff out, man. Throw Griff a lifeline, man. Tell tell me what they ought to do with that pick. Uh, uh, what what he should do is hire Gordon Ramsay and get him on uh, get uh, Zion on a weight plan. Wow! And I, mean, I think that's that, quite honestly that's that's better than any draft pick they could possibly have because until this kid understands and then, and 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 Terrell will attest. We talked about Zion when he was in high school and the fact that you know his he just didn't take the game seriously enough. At the at the end of the day, this is a game. But this is also your job. This is your profession. Your body is the is the actual tool that will make or break your profession. Make make or break you and your profession. So why wouldn't you go through every every obstacle, every chance you could to try to get your body right? To me, he doesn't take his, the game seriously enough. So it really, in my opinion, probably doesn't even matter what the, what the uh, Pelicans do. As long as he's not, he doesn't have that mindset to try to get better. It's not gonna, it's not gonna matter to him. Um, so I, I, I would, I would hope that the body shaming that he's been getting with the last for the last few months will get him, get him to the point where he's gonna be ready by the time the, uh, the season starts. There's no guarantee. We but are pro ripped, shaming here on the Hip Hop Sports Report podcast. <laughs> pro body shaming. Let it, let it, let the record reflect. That we are very much in the camp of body shaming on this podcast. Well, I mean, I mean, if we go that right, I'm telling you. I mean, like I said, uh, Terrell and I talked about this a lot, and about how you know he uh, Zion would rather have you know a bunch of cheeseburgers than actually get in the weight room and get himself in his shape. Uh, I'm just, 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 no, 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 back out now. I'm telling you, you've been you've been saying that from the beginning. <laughs> He, he don't want to do nothing. He guy don't want to do nothing. He don't want to work. He want to work at his craft, man. That, yeah, he, he be working at his craft. He's probably, you know, he, he, he's down in New Orleans. You know, they got gumbo down there. And, you know, they got the Come on, sea, seafood broil down there. Get him excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. he, needs, he needs to get a personal chef. He needs, to, he, needs to, he needs to get a personal trainer. And he's not like he's sure on money, so he should be able to do both of those and get himself ready to be prepared. And it's not like he can just sit there and just, you know, snack on stuff all throughout the off season and then just go out there and just be ready to play. He's not. His body, as much as he thinks his body is like that, it's not. It's not gonna. It's not. It's not gonna be an NBA shape. And he should not be going into the season trying to work himself into shape. He should already be in shape. Especially I gotta, if I gotta, asking somebody to do two hundred million dollars and give him that—that's not going to happen. 
we've established that Zion has an eating problem or something. He, I don't know what it is. The eating problem. It's a not moving around enough problem. It's, it's something is is problematic. Okay, but we can't. We also can't forget exactly how dominant that dude was. He was averaging like twenty seven a game last year when he was at, when he was out there, and he was running point half the time, whatever. So we know he's a brilliant basketball player when he's available. But how do you help him from from the draft pick standpoint? You know, given what's left on the board. Well, with him, because he's because of his ability to uh, to get points off the dribble, to uh, start the fast break, um, he he to a lesser degree than like a K Cunningham, and to a lesser than that degree like a LeBron, you're gonna need somebody who can space the floor with him, uh, so he can give him alleys to go downhill. So. For me, they're gonna need somebody who's going to be able to to shoot the three, and help and and with that ability to space the floor, will help him open those lanes up so that he can go ahead and do what he needs to do. So for me, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm looking at Adrian Griffin, Jr. from uh from Duke, as a as a six six to six seven small forward who could whose speciality is three point shooting. And he's already NBA ready from a from a frame standpoint where he can just, you know, he's a plug and play type of guy, I think. And he and he uh, gives you a lot on the defensive end as well. I think he's a good fit for what they're trying to do. So I think he helps open that floor up for uh, for Zion to do his dirty work down low and on and in transition to give him another uh, weapon to utilize. Uh, in transition on those catch and shoot type of threes, so that's who I would look at if I was if I was the Pelicans. AJ Griffin shot forty eight percent from three this year. That's crazy, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean this this guy looks like uh, he's got all the makings of a great three and D player. Um, uh, he he did have some some injury issues. It looks like in his past. So, I mean, we'll have to see how his medicals shake out. But assuming that they do, I think that's a really solid pick for a franchise that's that's building something potentially special down in New Orleans if they can just get the Zion piece together. Um, yeah, I that's think that's a I think, big piece, though. Literally, uh, it's, a it, 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 it's a big piece. It's, it's a big piece. You know, he, he likes him a big piece of chicken every now and then. Uh, while we're on the subject of big pieces, but. You know, you know, I mean, I like my chicken, too. You know what I'm saying? I can't fault the kid. <laughs> Terrell's right. They got the gumbo down there, the crawfish. What do you, what do you want him to do? Come on. Um, no, nah, all right. So <laughs> moving off that, um, the San Antonio Spurs have the ninth pick in the draft, Mark. And here's the thing with them. Uh, we don't know what Greg Popovich is going to do. As far as I know, he's still the coach of the Spurs, right? Like, he didn't retire or nothing yet, did he? He didn't retire. I, yeah, I feel like I would have heard that. I assume he's still going to be back, but I don't know what direction that they're going in as a franchise either. I mean, I guess I kind of know what direction they're going in. There's not they don't they don't have to pick a lane like maybe Portland does, but and they got to they, they just have to make a decision on a couple guys. Like we know Dejounte Murray's a piece. The guy was an All Star this year, and we know right. Devin Vassell's a piece. Um, right. I'm going to go yeah. ahead and take my victory lap on Devin Vassell right now. <laughs> if we if we think back to the Mark draft from two years ago, uh, uh-huh. I pounded the table for the Cavaliers, who at the time had the fifth pick, I believe, 
Yeah. And I said, the Cavs need to trade back, get a couple extra assets, get another player or another pick, and then take Devin Vassell at the bottom of the lottery. That's, that's what I said. Trade back, pick up Devin Vassell, and get a couple another asset while you're at it. Instead, they decided to stay there and take Isaac Okoro. Now, uh, uh, Isaac Okoro has been a subject of a lot of debate uh, amongst our family. But <laughs> let me just say, we're not going to dive into Isaac Okoro just yet. But just, yeah. for, just for a comparison's sake, Devin Vassell versus Isaac Okoro, their first two years in the NBA, they both averaged about the same amount of points, nine points. Their, their rebound is about the same. Their assists are about the same. Their steals are about the same. Their blocks are about the same. Uh, and Okoro actually shoots a better percentage from the floor. But here's where it gets different. Devin Vassell shoots a better three-point percentage. And when you look at the per 36 stats, because what I just gave you was just the raw numbers, per 36 points per game, advantage Vassell, blocks, advantage Vassell, steals, advantage Vassell, assists, advantage Vassell, rebounds, advantage Vassell. Uh, and obviously I mentioned the shooting already, free throw and three-point shooting, advantage Devin Vassell. Per 100 possessions, it's the same. It's a, it's a little bit more of the same. I mean, the defensive rating is in Devin Vassell's favor. Um, offensive rating is actually narrowly in Isaac Okoro's favor. Um, but then when you go deeper into the advanced stats, the win shares per 48, offensive box plus minus, defensive box plus minus, overall box plus minus, value above replacement player, all Devin Vassell. For a guy who they could have gotten six picks later, plus picked up an extra asset. So, so here's my here's my question to you. Why the hell did we take Isaac Okoro? That's what I'm trying to we'll, figure we'll out. We'll get to Kobe Altman in a minute, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm going to take a, not even a victory lap. I'm going to take a victory, you know, saunter, a little stroll. You know what I'm saying? Devin, he's not an MVP of the league. Devin Vassell's not no great player. But what I said about Keegan Murray, he's a piece. He's a contributor on what I think could be a good team. Uh, Isaac Okoro, in his last two games of the season, which were the play-in games, he was a no-show, actually. Um, he did uh, pretty much nothing. If I, can, I don't even know if I can find the games. He basically did nothing in either game uh, of the play-in, did Isaac Okoro. Uh, Devin Vassell, in his one play-in game, he had 23 points. He had seven threes against New Orleans. He was their leading scorer in that game. So 37 minutes, 23 points, seven three-pointers for Devin Vassell in his playing game. Isaac Okoro played two playing games and did not match those totals combined. So I'm going to go ahead and declare Devin Vassell the winner right now. Um, things can always change, I guess, but he's a piece for the Spurs, and so was DeJounte Murray. But what else do they got? Is Kelvin Johnson there for the long haul? Is Lonnie Walker there for the long haul? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So how do you make this team better? Well, they need a they need a uh, another cornerstone piece, in particular in the front court. Um, and while and while centers don't have that much value these days in the NBA, it's hard for any team to pass up on a guy that's this talented, in my opinion. So with that, the Spurs should take Jalen Duren, the center from Memphis, um, because he has a lot of talent. Uh, that I think with a DeJounte Murray, with a Devin Vassell, 
and then the other pieces that they have on the roster, I think they could they could they could really start to start running more of what Pop likes to do as far as offensively and then defensively. You know, like I say, Jalen Duran has a lot of untapped potential that could be used utilized defensively as well. And he's just he, he's you know just like I was talking about earlier with the Thunder and the Magic, you know. Spurs ain't really winning anytime soon. And quite honestly, the, 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 the person who's going to benefit the most, the most is going to be the coach that comes after pop because I don't think it, I don't think this team will be good enough, you know, as uh, to actually uh, to be good enough to go to the playoffs and, and do any postseason true postseason while pop is there. Um, I could be wrong, but I think if, you know, with, with what what they have now and what they're in direction they they're trying to look into, I think Jalen Duran would be a good fit for them. So that's what I would take if I was them. Yeah, I think this is a best player available situation. Um, and you know, this kid, he kind of when you look at his profile, he reminds me of like a a Robert Williams type or a Mitchell Robinson type. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that can be helpful on a lot of teams. Um, especially if you have a guy as a table setter, like a DeJounte Murray, who can set things up for a guy like, like Jalen Duran. Uh, by the way, Isaac Okoro in the two playing games, he combined in those two games, 35 minutes combined. He was two for six from the floor, six rebounds, zero blocks, zero steals, one assist, six points in two games combined in the playing tournament. Uh, we'll get back to Isaac Okoro in a minute, though. I just wanted to throw that in there because I forgot. Uh, the Wizards... Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> the Wizards pick 10th. The Wizards from Washington. Um, if you go to their page and, like, look up who, like, their leading scorer and, like, rebounder and field goal percentage guys were, it was all Kyle Kuzma, which is bad. That's, that's bad news bears. That's if Kyle bad. if he's your leading guy, he's, that's bad. Yep, that's yep. Uh, they got Kristaps Porzingis in the deal, but oh, really all anybody cares about on this team is Bradley Beal and what he's going to do. And it doesn't seem like he's going to be sticking in Washington for the long haul. Uh, he's like a dream scenario guy for the Cavaliers for me. I would love for the Cavs to somehow get Bradley Beal. I don't really see that happening, but if you stuck him on this yeah. team, I think that yeah, that team's really, really going places. But uh, um you know, do you move Beal? Do you move this pick? Do you keep this pick? Do you keep Beal? Do you? I, I, what do you do? So, we was talking about the possibility of of pretty much of blowing blowing up the uh, the Portland Trailblazers. There's no doubt in my mind that the Wizards need to blow this up. Uh, Bradley Beal needs to be traded. Ain't nothing to blow up, Mark. How you blow up trash? <laughs> you, you blow up trash. It's just trash. <laughs> Hey, hey, it's the, they still got to get rid of the garbage. You still got to get rid of it. You know what I mean? Unless you want to be guess. a hoarder. Uh, you got you to get rid of it. They've I, been I hoarding garbage basketball players for far too long in our nation's <laughs> capital. Let's not do this anymore. It's time. It's time Let's not subject the good people of Chocolate City to this. Yes. Let's just, let's just get rid of them. Let's just start over. And my thing is, since you're going to blow this up, you're going to need young young players who's you know who has upside that you may want to develop because you're going to have time to develop them 
So in this case here, if I'm the Wizards, I'm going after Shane Sharp, uh, the the shooting guard from Kentucky. Well, he never technically never really played for him, but originally from Canada, because he has a lot of upside of a top five pick. But he's also one of the mystery men in the draft because there, there's not really a lot of tape on him outside of high school. So teams may be scared away, but if you're the Wizards, you really don't have nothing to lose. I mean, at this point, you're getting rid of everybody and you have plenty of time to get this kid, to develop this kid and get him be get him better, uh, give him the opportunity to become better in the NBA. Uh, Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma. All those stiffs that's been down there in, in the nation's capital, they're not helping you win. I watched, I've sat here in this in this house and watched Chris Stapp Porzingis all last year for the Dallas Mavericks until he was traded. And that dude was a flat out bum. And I, I'm I'm sorry. He just <laughs> he has his flashes, but every every player in the NBA has their flashes. Sure. But Chris Stapp Porzingis is way too soft to be in this league, man. He's just not, he's not, he's not tough enough to, to be in this league. And so all of them need to go. And if you're going to go, why not start off with a 19-year-old kid? Here's my thing. Shaden Sharp, a couple things. Number one, I like his name, okay? It's right in line with Sterling Sharp and Shannon Sharp and Shaden Sharp. I don't know if he's of any relation, but he should be because he fits right in with them. Uh, right. Number two, he's the type of kid that if I didn't have nothing going on as a franchise, that I'd take a flyer on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. he can, he, and you look at his profile, he, he can shoot it. He's a good athlete. You know, six four, guard. You know, and he can defend and handle it. I mean, like that. This is he's everything that you really want in a high upside type of guy. Now, you know, there's there's still some some you know the fact that he didn't play, and, and he, the fact that he sat out is a little bit of that's a little alarming, frankly. But like, you know, just looking at the guy, here's one outlet. If you look at the comps for Shade and Sharp, one outlet has him compared to Paul George, Bradley Beal, and Jalen Green. Uh, for comparison's sake, you mentioned earlier uh, Dyson Daniels. He, yeah. who, who I think you had going like maybe three or four picks higher. Dyson Daniels yeah. is compared to Derek White, Kyle Anderson, and Evan Turner. Now, Derek White, Kyle Anderson, Evan Turner, or Paul George, Bradley Beal, Jalen Green? Which guy would you rather? You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not yeah. everything. It's not everything, but again, if you're just gonna if you if you stink, and you're just gonna take a swing, you might, I'm taking a swing on a dude like Shaden Sharp. That's all I'm saying. Um, the Knicks pick 11th. Uh, they fell off real hard after a playoff run last year. And shout out to my man Anthony Houston, friend of the show. He's pointed out to me that once again in his own and uh, the only way he knows how to do it, Tom Thibodeau is already wearing out his welcome in New York. People already can't stand them. Um, and uh, this is what hardcore Knicks people are talking about. You've seen RJ Barrett go up a little bit this year. Obi Toppin had some flashes. I still like quickly. Um, I like Cam Reddish. They gambled on Cam Reddish and then didn't play him at all. Um, right. The biggest issue was that they just don't have enough top-end talent. Like They have guys. They have good role guys. But Julius Randle's your best player. You're not going anywhere. I mean, Julius Randle is a nice player. He had a great season, uh, not this past year, but the year before. Um, then this past year, he's over here booing the fans that boo him for sucking. It's like, bro, you sucked. You deserve to get booed. I don't understand that. But he has four years and $114 million left. If they can't move Julius Randle for something halfway decent, they're going to stink again. 
But um, what what happens here with New York? Of the players that are that we have left that are that are have enough talent to be in the lottery, and for what they're trying to do, I I guess whatever direction that the Knicks are trying to do, what they're missing to me is 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 point guard. In my opinion, um, they don't really have anybody who can who can dictate pace, control the flow of the offense. I think if Dyson Daniels, had he not been picked three or four picks earlier, would probably do well there. But I think for for where we are now, him being off the board, I think if we're going to go that route with a uh, with a point guard, I think the, the, the best fit for the Knicks at this point would be Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. Terrell and I talked about this. Also talked about him also last night, and he and he he believes that that's actually going to go down. That the, the Knicks is going to take Ty Ty Washington. I don't know. If, I don't know if they. I don't know if they are, but I think he will be a good fit for them because of what what they need at this time and who's who's available. And this way, they don't have to necessarily reach unless they want to go the route and try to trade for somebody who already has a, you know a, an abundance of point guards. But for me, this is this is probably the direction that they need to go. So that's who I would go with about the Knicks. Well, so there's one flaw in in your uh, conclusion that you came to for the Knicks, Mark. Uh, and Anthony Houston, friend of the show again, he'll be the first one to tell you that if the Knicks know one thing, it's not point guards, but it's washed up over the hill point guards who, <laughs> who make way too much money. And with Russell Westbrook and John Wall still hovering out there, one of them has to end up in New York, right? One of them's got to be in New York. I mean, like, how many over-the-hill washed-up point guards are the Knicks going to get? Are they going to really draft a young point guard? I don't see that happening. They're going to they're gonna leave that spot open for Westbrook or John Wall. I can just feel it. Um, no, maybe it is Ty Ty Washington. I, don't, I have no idea, of course. But um, they could probably do worse than that. They could probably do worse. He's got the pedigree of getting one of Coach Cal's guys in there. But, um, you know, the, the Knicks, I, 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 again, kind of going back to what I said before, uh, if I'm picking a point guard, that, that point guard has to be clearly the best player left of the bunch. Otherwise, I'm going to take a swing on a wing or maybe a big uh, in that scenario. And I will take my chances of getting my point guard later because they're, they're, always, av- they're always available. There's always a point guard to be had. Uh, next, we have the Hornets, excuse me, not the Hornets, but the Thunder again, the Thunder pick 12. What do you got the Thunder doing? They already, you already have them getting uh, Paolo Bonchero with the second pick. Right. So for me, um, I want to get somebody who would be, a, I, was, I think, a decent compliment to uh, Paolo in the front court. Uh, at this point in time, for, for the Thunder, I mean, I, you, you want to talk about taking swings. I'll take a swing on him on this particular person. And this person would be, um, Jeremy Sochan from, uh, Baylor. I've seen a couple of his games being down here in Texas. Um, he's a six, nine guy. Uh, he's a good, I think he would be a good compliment to the front court, but he's, he's young, he's talented and he's versatile basically on the defensive end. Now his offensive game needs polish, but he is not like, like I said, earlier in this in the uh in the podcast it's not like they, the thunder are winning anytime soon he's going to have time to develop his game and he's going to be uh able to to do it at the nba level so for me that would be a good place for him and 
and and help start this youth movement here with the Thunder. So that's why I would go with. Yeah, he's a he's a bigger dude, but seems to be just a great defender. Um, maybe like a, a, a if Lou Dort were a forward instead of a guard, just a guy that's right. that's big, but you don't really look that uh, not huge, but bigger. And you don't really look, you don't really look for him to score at all. You just look for him to shut guys down. If Jeremy Sochin can walk into a role like that, you know where he's not really asked to do much offensively. I think I think it could work. But the minute you're probably going to ask him to create or score or anything like that, it's probably going to not turn out so good. Um, but again, not a, they could do worse. I think it, given that they would have already gotten a lot of that out of Paolo uh, with the second pick, they would have gotten a lot of offense there. And Charlotte now picks 13th. They actually finished 43 and 39. So they were in the playing tournament, almost made the playoffs. They fired their coach, James Borrego for some reason. And then they missed out. They whiffed on getting Kenny Atkinson last week. Um, so the team is basically built around LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward coming off an injury, Terry Rozier, and then Montrez Harrell, who may be going to a federal penitentiary before next season. Uh, We're doing his Nate Newton impersonation. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So what what happens with the Hornets then? Um, th- there's still a lot of pro-Mello people out there, and I still kind of think Mello is not – I, I, I was wrong on Melo. Let me just get that out the way. So LaMelo was a pick a couple of years ago. I said I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, and I said if I was going to be wrong about him, I was going to be wrong about him. And as it turns out, I've been wrong about him. However, I don't see LaMelo as the best player on a title team or a title contending team. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I would rather have a dominant wing score paired with him. Then I think he would look a lot better. But let's say you for the, for the Hornets. So at this point, we're the, um, since not only did the Hornets have 13, they have picked 15 with the Cavs right in the middle at 14. So for me, um, with those ex- with, the, with the extra lottery pick in this case, I'm going to be looking to try to take a swing at best player available. Um, and you're right. Um, LaMelo may not be Right now, he's currently the player on the Hornets, but I think going forward, he he should not have to be. And I think with this, he's going to need a, a a true running mate in the backcourt that's going to help him get uh, get his assist up, get his uh, or and get buckets on his own when the play breaks breaks down to a certain degree. Um, but you know, Lamelo has to have uh, people to pass it to, and at this point. One of the people that they can actually get uh, the ball to that can actually make a shot for him would be Benedict Matherin from uh, Arizona. Um, he's the best player available right now, according to the way the mark, the mark draft has, has fallen. But you can never have enough talented wings, especially in the NBA. So for, for this particular case, as somebody as talented as, as Matherin is, he would actually fit what the Hornets are trying to do. So I would, I would actually go that route, at least with this point here at 13, I would take him to try to uh, get uh, opportunities for easy buckets and things like that. And that, and he would generally help uh, LaMelo as he, as he tries to improve his game in the NBA as well. So that's who I would take. Benedict Matherin. I've seen him on more than one site and you know, Take, it's a mock, so let's take it with a grain of salt. But I've seen him mocked going as high as fifth on more than one site. 
So if he right. slides all the way to 13th, I think Charlotte is tripping over itself trying to hand in the card to get him there. 6'6", 205 mm-hmm. swingman that, like you said, can um, put the ball in the basket, and which is what you need if you have a guy like LaMelo. Like you need, some, like you said, somebody to score. So pairing with Miles Bridges, and now you got a nice one-two punt there on the wing, that's not a bad look at all. And, uh, and then that brings us to the Cleveland Cavaliers, Mark. Um, 44 and 38, 44 and 38. You're Kobe Altman, Mark. 44 and 38. Uh, the Cavaliers should have made the playoffs. They were as high as the four seed. I think as late as like January or February, they were as high as the four seed in the East. Um, but yeah. just a, a rash of injuries at the worst time, one after another, kind of did them in. And, you know, I mean, it started with Sexton and Rubio early in the season, and then they brought in Rondo, and then he was in and out of the lineup with with injuries. And then um, the killer was Evan Mobley getting hurt late in the year, and that was after Darius Garland was battling back issues around the All-Star break. And so before you knew it, the Cavs were just sliding, 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 and they slid right out of contention um, through the play-in. So kind of the best-case scenario, because they missed the playoffs, they got to keep um, – they're a really good team, but they still got to keep their lottery pick because of the fact that they missed the playoffs and through the Karis Levert deal. So they still have Levert, but they may want to extend him. He's looking for a new deal. They don't. Nobody knows what they're going to do with Colin Sexton, uh, and that's probably the biggest question mark on the team. What should you do, Mark? We need a wing, Mark. We need a wing that can score. I agree. Um, and we wouldn't be in this position had had. Uh, had my best friend Kobe Altman actually not drafted Isaac Okoro. Okay, we knew um, this was coming back around Isaac Okoro. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing, a whole other podcast. But here's my I do want to I do want to make this one point about Isaac Okoro. You and you mentioned it earlier when he's when he in the last in the last two games in the playing games, uh he basically had like six rebounds. He had really pedestrian, less than pedestrian uh, type of stats. To, to me, when the Cavs, the Cavs uh, tried numerous different players up against uh, Trey Young in that in that playing game, one of them was not Isaac Okoro. Mm. To me, that just tells me all you need to know about him. Mm. In the biggest game, the thing that you need to do the the guy that the guy who does that one thing the most doesn't even play. To me, you he's he's just a waste of a draft pick, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, he only played twenty two minutes in that game. Yes, and I Trey saw Young, that. I like to watch that game. Actually, we get that game down here. I watched it. it I was, I was. The, my first question was, where is Isaac Okoro? He's supposed to be well, this great guy defensively. Where is he? Yeah, I mean, if you Why draft a guy fifth, him? if you draft a guy fifth for his perimeter defense, you expect him, you know. To be a, he's got play. I mean, like, I mean, like, Thibault in Philly. You know, he can't. He, he you know, he, he's <laughs> he's no right. Steph Curry either. But like, I mean, at least Thibault, like, you would feel comfortable throwing him at Trey, throwing him at Trey Young in the second half of a must-win game like that. Absolutely. But yeah, Trey Young was eating us up, and Isaac Okoro was either he was basically nowhere to be seen. To your point, right. So I'm I'm a little torn on this one. I'm I'm torn for a number of different reasons, and the and the reason why I, I my my main concern is that the Cavs 
it's in particular once once there is Garland get uh, one thing I noticed is once there is Garland gets got into foul trouble, it's like the whole offense just completely just disintegrated. Um, but I will say this of all the injuries that they had and they experienced during the time during their the last couple of months of the season, to me, the biggest the biggest injury, Rubio. the one injury they could not get in, in addition to Rubio, I, I he's one A for me because Rubio was was key in this. As long as Rubio was healthy, I think we would be okay. But Jared Allen's injury. I really forgot to mention that. I forgot to even mention that. Yep, you're he, right. All star really killed the cla- killed the Cavs because of all the big guys that they have. You know the the, the seven the, the seven foot uh, front line and so on and so forth. They only have one true center in that front line in that front court, and that's Jared Allen. Once Jared Allen was gone, it really hurt them. And I'm at I'm at the point where um. That they cannot afford to have Jared Allen gone again because I, I I still think that they should still bring Rubio back. I still think that they should re-sign Colin, Colin Sexton. You know, despite what you may say about young bull, you know, 20 point per game scores, even what regardless of whether they're on a bad team or not, 20 point per game score at at and and not and at the efficiency at the type of efficiency that he was shooting at are very hard to come by. They brought in Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert is, is a gunner. He just jacks up shots. He, he'll, he'll get you 20 points, but he don't care if he, he gets it on 20 shots. To me, that's not efficient. And to me, that's some something that they could do without. Um, I think long-term, Colin Sexton is probably a six-man, as I've been saying. Where the the biggest thing that I think that Colin Sexton needs to do is be able to come in on a in a unit where all he has to concentrate on or all he has to worry about is just getting buckets. That's it. He doesn't have to worry about setting up the offense. Doesn't have to worry about you know locking down necessarily defensively. For that to happen, they're gonna need a they're gonna need another wing guy who has the capability of scoring and has at least. If not the actual uh, athleticism to to be defend to, to to be a good defender, at least have the length uh, to be at least uh, at least partially uh, a good defender. At least have some type of defensive capability. If the Cavs end up staying where they are, I have a different scenario that I'll talk about in a second. But just for now, if they stay where they are. Everything I've said goes into fruition. They get Rubio back. They, they re-sign Colin Sexton, so on and so forth. The guy I'll be looking at is Malachi Branham, who my who my son likes to call Stat Pat from Ohio State University <laughs> at, at fourteen. So I would go I would go that route for that. But I have a different scenario also if I really want to roll the dice. But as of right now, that's who I would take. For the Cavs at 14. Okay, so Malachi Branham, guy's freshman, smooth stroke. He gets to a spot, can pull up and score it. Um, he seems to be a solid mid-range and long-range shooter and a decent athlete and defender. Um, he's, he's a classic 3 and D guy. I wish he was maybe two inches taller for the Cavs' sake yeah. if he's there. Uh, if he was a little taller, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But 
I mean, the guy gets to his shot, his spot, and he can stop and pop and score it. Like, I don't, I don't know what the, you know, stat padding. You know, okay, maybe I don't know. Uh, but what's your other scenario, real quickly, before we run out of time? Okay, so the other scenario is, as I said before, with because I think this also goes into or ties into the the fifteen pick with the Hornets. So the Hornets have had issues. For a long time, um, at the center position, there they don't they didn't have any stability at the center position. All the centers that they have have had the last 10, 10 years really stinks, and the ones who played with Lamelo Ball has also stunk. So for me, if I'm the Cavs, if I know that the Hornets have an abundance of wings, I will be looking to try to get. Uh, the Hornets to trade up from 15 to 14 because I'll be threatening that the that the player that I will be taking would be a will be Mark Williams from Duke, and the reason why I say that is because you don't lose anything on the defensive end if you have him. He's not he's not you're not necessarily having to rely on his scoring, even though he has the ability to to, uh, to be able to score over time, but defensively. He will be like that, like Robert Williams was for the um, for the Celtics, and he could be a difference maker on defense, which is something that, that the Hornets would definitely want to use. So, if I'm able to use him as a trading piece, if I don't necessarily want to keep him or get or get uh, the Hornets to trade up one spot, uh, maybe getting a maybe getting one of the wings that they have can actually help benefit me, like uh, whether it's a uh, a a Gordon Hayward or to a lesser extent, a Miles Bridges, maybe one of those two guys. I don't know, but that would be another, another thing for them because if I'm the Hornets at 15, whatever the Cavs will pick at 14, I'm going to be looking to try and grab Mark Williams at 15. So that's where I would go with, with that scenario. I see. So, so basically Malachi Branham's your, your one, a option, Mark Williams would be your one B. If, uh, you see a scenario where they maybe could try to dupe the Hornets into moving up to get Mark Williams, or if, Mark, or if, if Malachi is off the board, then maybe the Cavs go Mark Williams to get another center on the roster to help with Jared Allen. I could see all that happening. Um, I just know they need a wing. I, I would not be breaking my neck to find another center, um, considering that Allen and Mobley are going to be playing all the big man minutes anyway. Um, so I'm not, again, I'm not saying they shouldn't look at Mark Williams, but. Uh, I would be focusing my energy and doing everything I could do to get that wing. Now, if they could find a way to trade for Miles Bridges, fantastic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then, then, then I'll be doing cartwheels in the basement. You know what I'm saying? But short of that, stay there. Brandon's a good pick. I, I'm good. I'm good with it. Uh, to recap, really quick. So the Magic had the first pick. Mark, if he's running the Magic, he's taking Jabari Smith. Two, the Thunder taking Paolo Banchero. Three. The Rockets take Chet Holmgren. Four, the Kings take Jaden Ivey. Five, the Pistons get Keegan Murray. Six, the Pacers get Dyson Daniels. Seven, Johnny Davis to the Blazers. Eight, A.J. Griffin to the New Orleans Pelicans. Nine, Jaden Duran from uh, Memphis and Penny Hardaway's crew. Second Penny reference of the podcast. He's going ninth to San Antonio. Shaden Sharp, number 10 to the Wizards. Ty Ty Washington, number 11. Is it Ty Ty or TT? It's Ty Ty, right? Ty Ty, yeah. Ty Ty, going number 11 to the the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, Jeremy Sochin, number 12 to the Thunder, 13. Benedict Matherin 
to the Hornets and 14. Um, you have Malachi Branham taking Isaac Okoro's job. Mark, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you always for coming through and uh, and blessing the podcast. Big shout out to Terrell. Thank you, sir, for your contributions to the podcast as well. And uh, we're going to have to wrap this thing and put a ball on it. But get at us and let you know what you think about the Mark draft this year and what you think about the NBA draft on a whole. Doesn't seem to have a ton of star power at the top, but maybe some decent mid first round depth. We'll see how it all plans out on uh, on Thursday night. So, Mark, Terrell, thank you guys. Appreciate all of y'all for listening. Like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. You know the drill is Jay Hicks with the Hip Hop Sports Podcast 1. Oh,